Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. Hi Lima, welcome to the Bonnie Podcast. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm good, thank you. Alhamdulillah. Hey. You're across, you? good. You're you're across the pond. Um, how is uh, how are things in in the UK right now with with COVID? Um, things are lifting at the moment, so the restrictions are easing. We're allowed to eat in restaurants, but outside in the freezing cold. But next week we'll be allowed to eat inside. Alhamdulillah. Um, and by twenty first of June, it's like it never happened. We'll be back to normal. I think. Wow, so I don't even remember what normal looks like, right? <laughs> I know it's at the moment it's trying to socialize with your friends and trying to figure out how do I how do I talk to you guys again and what what do I do with my like facial expressions because you've had the mask on for this whole time you know <laughs> they only read their eyes so um it's assimilating reassimilating to society so tell us about your work yeah both your day job and this really inspiring um project you have going on called the diaspora club Okay, so by day, I am a fashion designer. I work for a brand called Paul Smith, and I design their menswear. That's been my uh, vocation since uh, uni. Um, so I went to university, studied fashion design, and then went into a job with this. The Diaspora Club is more of a, of a passion project for me. I kind of started it when I was in lockdown because I was on furlough, which meant that I wasn't working. So... I needed to find something to do and I didn't want to be doing fashion related stuff. So I started drawing sort of ethnically, uh, ethnic minorities and um, world cultured inspired imagery. And then I sort of landed into this diaspora club because one of my friends messaged me and he was like, oh, it'd be really cool if you start to draw people that you actually know and tell their stories. And I featured him first. So it's, that's how it started and it snowballed into this like more and more people found out about it and I found new participants through people that I'd already featured and it's their friends and their friends and it kind of grew that way. Um, so yeah, it's it, kind it, of to celebrate, to celebrate the diaspora. Do, do you have to meet the person in person or have you done Zoom calls to, to draw them or how has that worked through the pandemic? So, a bit of a bit of both. Well, um, because of the pandemic, I couldn't meet them face to face. Some of the people I knew from before, so some of them are my friends. Um, other people I met through Instagram. So they messaged me when I asked for participants. Um, they were like really into my art and they wanted to be part of it. So I met a lot of new people through Instagram, um, and then we had a phone call and just like got to know each other and discuss like the project and what they'd be comfortable with and. It was really fun because throughout the process, like a couple of, it would be a couple of weeks and they'd send me pictures of their family and talk them through their, their family photos. So it's like we became friends. So it was really nice. Awesome. Yeah. yeah you know, um, through Boney, it's, it's similar. It's how it's, it's, it's uh, worked similarly. I've met so many people the last few years um, and it feels like, you know, I've known them forever and we have built relationships through this platform and it is social media. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, especially during the pandemic, it seems like you, you know, you really do, uh, you build these, uh, sustainable relationships. Yeah. And I think it's really like a really wholesome process because it allows people to really deep, deeply delve into who they are and what made them who they are. And a lot of it's influenced from their families and their 
parents and grandparents and it's just a quite a positive thing to put out there of like um of appreciating your culture and your and your family and your heritage so i think a lot of people found that really uplifting during the pandemic so that's what made me continue doing doing it um so yeah, I'm curious about you. So your day job, you're, you're a designer at Paul Smith, which is which is amazing. And is there like any skills or or, or techniques that you've used that you've learned on your day job at Paul Smith for this project? Um, I think it's mostly my my job. My day job involves drawing a lot of drawing. Mm-hmm. Um, so at Paul Smith, we hand draw everything, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to using computer aided design. We do a bit of Photoshop here and there, but he really likes traditional um, methods and to keep that kind of craftsmanship alive. So we do a lot of hand drawings. Um, So that feeds into the way I draw, like all of my, all my drawings are initially hand drawn and then I color them on, on Photoshop and Illustrator. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of the link, I guess, there. Gotcha. um, Yeah. Also, just thinking about just like drawing, you know, you're interviewing people. So, you know, interviewing people isn't easy, but you're also, you know, getting people to open up and things like that. Like, uh, have, have, is that just natural to you or is it just, um, you know, that's yeah, something to learn? I, I think because um, I'm, a, I'm a northerner and I don't know if you know the uh, stereotype of a northerner. Mm-mm, we're very mm-mm. chatty. <laughs> oh, Tell so me. in England, we're very, we're very chatty. Northerners are known for being really open and chatty and like, wanting to get to know people whereas southerners are known as a bit more reserved and closed off so as a northerner i'm just used to like trying to get to know people awesome. like it's just it's just how we how we've been brought up so where where so tell me some towns in the north that uh, that uh or, or, or i don't know uh, provinces that that are like that uh lancashire which is the county that i'm from which okay. includes um blackpool preston bolton blackburn area um and then yorkshire which is like leeds um bradford um and i think they're like we're just really very very like overly friendly i think (laughs) and most of the bengalis are aware uh bengalis are i would say in areas like manchester and um bradford which is mostly pakistani and bengalis um and blackburn i'd say Okay. Uh, there are everyone's everywhere, but most of the like facility Bengalis are in like London. That's where they've. Yeah, we have a, we have a Boney Boney team member in Bradford, and um, <laughs> it's I. What you just said is interesting because I I, I uh, ordered we had to we ordered food for one of our team members. She had a death in the family, and oh. I I googled. Um, and I forget what word I googled. I think maybe like Desi food or Bengali food. In Bradford, around her address, and I was shocked at the n- number of places I found, <laughs> um, and I, you know, and, and a number of like established food places, not like, you know, not like one, like there's so many chains, and I was like, wow, like that's that was that's amazing. Yeah, Bradford's amazing for their seafood. Um, yeah. I used to, I I went to university in Leeds, and we'd always go to Bradford to get if we wanted home home cooked food or what as close to as home cooked food as we could get would go to Bradford. Wow. Because it's it's authentic. The, um, so going back to the Diaspora Club, is, is there, when you started, was there a specific void that you were trying to fill? Yeah. Well, for me, like growing up, there wasn't a lot of representation of people like me in terms of the artists we studied or the art we even looked at. So it was really Eurocentric. So like artists like Monet and Edgar Degas, they were, 
all of the artists were white and everyone they drew were white. So mm. I, I wanted to sort of change that and like have more, more art out there that had black and people of color because I don't think there's enough of us out there. And I feel like as a, as a people, we're quite beautiful people um, with interesting features. So it's nice to, to have, have that. So yeah. if you're not represented, you've got to create that representation for yourself. So that was the reason. Yeah. And I also just love that some of your, some of your work, it's like an amalgamation of two cultures. So like, you know, there was a, there was a, a dude playing basketball with a, with a toupee. Like, I love that, you know, it just shows yeah. like you keep your culture, but you also sort of, you know, adapt to your environment. That's inspired by, so in, in Finsbury Park, which is an area in London, there's this basketball court and everyone like of all ethnic backgrounds, mostly, mostly black, but also like you'll see, you'll see men after Friday prayers and they'll go and play foot, they'll go and play basketball or they'll go and play football, but they're in their like Forbes and their toupees are still wearing it. Awesome. So it's, it's actually inspired by reality and how people actually live and how is, I've seen it. Is basketball big in, in the UK? Not really, realize. but the, <laughs> not really. Football's our sport, but yeah. um, there are a few courts around here. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder why. I wonder why basketball isn't. It's uh, big everyone else. It's big in, the, in Europe in general. I'm surprised the UK hasn't taken, taken off. I don't know. Maybe we're not tall enough. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, uh, I, I have a feeling it's probably because it's just, it's just like an American sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, maybe they just, uh, I don't know, maybe some, some anti-American there. Because I, I realized, because um, baseball is sort of the opposite, right? Baseball kind of started because it's sort of like anti-cricket, which is a very UK thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, UK, we kind of have cricket, rugby, which is big for us. Yeah. And then you have American football, which is yeah. similar. So, yeah, exactly. and, and then you have, you have soccer, we have uh, football. So, yeah, I think maybe it's a, we don't want to be too American, but. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I read, I read somewhere that the baseball, it was, so the, 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 a long time ago, like 150 years ago, there was like a, there was like a, um, a world championship of cricket that was in the US. They held it in the US and the US lost badly. And then after that, they just banned it because the US was just so bad at it. <laughs> so then they kind of just like created their own sport and baseball. That's why baseball. So, you know, baseball's the thing here. I mean, you know, yeah. probably football too, right? American football is on offshoot of rugby somehow. So probably the same reason. That's the most American thing I've heard is, yeah. uh, okay, so we, we're not very good at this sport. We'll just, we'll delete yeah. it. We'll delete it from history. We're innovative, yeah. So yeah. Uh, speaking of innovation, so I, I know, so on your page, on your Instagram page, Ali.illustrate, you, you started as mostly black and white, all black and white in the beginning. And then towards the middle, like, you know, around like last year sometime, you, you started to switch to color. Is there a reason for that? Um, yeah, I guess. So... I, you, I haven't met me in real life, but all I wear is black. So a oh, lot of my, my aesthetic is quite just black and white and minimal. But um, yeah, what I realized was I wasn't getting across the, how colorful each culture was mm. um, by, by having it black and white. Although it's quite nice to have non-color, the color added more to it and made it more lively and more vibrant. And then I realized that when I, when I do dress in Asian clothes, I always wear colorful clothes and it's only when I'm wearing my Western clothes that I wear black. So mm. it was really funny that like, I could see that comparison in terms of like how I like approach art in a sense. So yeah, that was more to get the vibrancy of the culture across. 
and people responded really well to the colored stuff. So I was like, I'll just keep doing this then. How long does it take you for one piece typically? So uh, a black and white piece, if I'm just doing it by hand, 15 minutes to draw it. Um, and then if I'm coloring it, it takes about an hour. So total about an hour and 15 minutes. Wow. I have zero yeah. artistic skills. So I'm just always impressed <laughs> by people that can draw well. Is it? Is uh, there? I think you can learn to draw at a at an old age, like uh, like me. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I could draw at any age. I feel like um, you just need to be to be observant and to be able to have a bit of a hand eye coordination. Look at what you're drawing and then be able to draw it. But and be able to hold a pen. So if you can hold a pen, <laughs> you're mm. fine. Well, I, that was one of my questions. Give a one-minute lesson on a, on how to draw a portrait, but you just did it in like ten seconds. It's great. <laughs> is oh, the God. is a tool important? So you know, I, I my sister's really into drawing. I buy her all these expensive tools, you know, like uh, er, like um, like these tablets and stuff. But uh, what do you, how important is a tool? I don't think it is at all. I think you can you can create it from pretty much anything. So. Um, it just depends on what kind of thing you're trying to do. So if I think about, I guess it, it, it's, it's a, it shows how creative you are being able to use the things around you. So like my brother, for example, he, when he was a kid, I remember this distinctly because it, I was so impressed by it at the time. He had this fruit shoot bottle. I don't know if you guys have this drink in America. It's like a, a, like a Ribena or like a fruit juice bottle. Yeah. And he, he drank it and then he wouldn't let us throw the bottle away. And we were like, what, why? He made us carry it all the way home and he wouldn't tell us what he wanted to do with it. And then we got home and he spent a couple of hours in his room and he came back out with it and he'd painted the bottle to look like Doctor Who TARDIS. And we were just like, what? How did it go from like this juice bottle to, to looking like the TARDIS? And he was like, yeah, when I looked at the plastic lid on the, on the bottle, it looked like the light box the light box on top of the TARDIS. So I saw that and I wanted to create it, but I couldn't explain it to you guys. So I think that's when I say creativity, it's mm. being able to see something that other people can't see and being able to use things that people might not necessarily think are art tools. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, do, so you're, do you think, you know, I guess you, you, your career, your day job is in art. Um, but what sort of mistakes do you think people make when trying to make you know art a career? I think so. It's an interesting question because I think people forget that art is a really big business. So if you look at it in terms of a business perspective, I think the two mistakes that artists usually make, or well, in my opinion, is they forget their brand identity, like who they try to make their art. Because art is so subjective. You can't have everyone like what you're doing. So the point of your art, it should be distinguishable and you should target where you're putting, putting the art. So as, for example, on social media now, you can like hashtag, um, like for example, I hashtag Diaspora Club or the country that I'm, I'm drawing or whatever to try and narrow down the audience that sees it because it's not interesting for me, to, for everyone to see it. I'd rather people who are interested in that specific type of art to see it because then your audience grows organically and you create a base so that's how I think a lot of people make a mistake is they're trying to please everyone when that's just not possible mm. and the second thing I'd say is the, is the value that they put on themselves and their art so 
I don't think they work out how many hours they put into a piece and they they often um, undervalue their piece of artwork that they're selling. Like I see that a lot in like freelance artists that they'll sell art for like 10 pounds, but it took them longer than two hours to do it. So they're not valuing their time. Um, So if you're trying to make a career, you want to make money, right? So I think if they need to start seeing it as a business more than just a, just a hobby, that's what I'd say. Gotcha. Yeah. Are you following this um, movement to NFTs? Are you familiar? Are you, you know, are you following the whole cryptocurrency yes. scene and oh non fungible tokens? Cause you know, a lot of some artists are finding um, that as a way to, you know, make, make, uh, make, make money. Yeah. I, I was having this debate with my manager actually at work um, about NFTs. Cause I, I follow people crap and he sold a video for like 6.6 million. And I was just like, wow, it's, it's amazing. And her point, her point and her like sort of concern is it's quite elitist way of appear, like way of selling art and seeing art. And her point was that the difference between the original and what you can download isn't, there is no difference. All you're doing is owning the code. But mm. I just, I just feel like it's such an opportunity for artists to have a new platform to sell digital artists because there wasn't, there isn't a platform for them to sell art and they're really creative and really talented. So it's a way for them to, to market themselves and to sell their art on a platform that didn't exist before. So whilst it's elitist, it's, it's opened up a whole new market for digital artists. And I think it's amazing. Yeah, also opens up the entire world. Also, it opens up the entire world, right? I mean, you're you're exactly. you can be an artist in New York and sell your or you know sell your art to someone in Australia if you'd want. I mean, the, the, exactly. you know, to be honest, I don't. I'm, I'm still not. Uh, I'm still not clear about the technology behind it. I you know I get that. I get is non fungible and you own the code, like you said, but that doesn't keep from someone to copying it and then posting no, it on the Instagram. Like I, no. the tech piece, I, it's, it's still kind of strange to me. Um, yeah, I think I think you're you're probably in the same you're in the same vein that she's thinking is that it's not if there's if there's a JPEG yeah. that you've bought yeah. and I can just press right click and download that image and I've got the same JPEG. Yeah. Whereas yeah. you own the code behind it, so you're all all you all you've got is I've the right to say I own it. But the other thing is you have the right to use it as well. So yeah. if you yeah. want to use that across platforms and use it for promotional purposes or anything like that, it's the same thing. It's like buying taking a picture of a model and you owning yeah. that imagery yeah gotcha that's how i that's how i see it anyway yeah yeah th- yeah that, that makes sense yeah I mean, i'm glad it's i'm glad it's i mean also it's it's in its infancy i mean you, you it's gonna there's gonna be a lot more advancement in the, in the in the field and also maybe maybe some ways so people can't right click and copy maybe eventually that'll that, that'll happen there's so many companies in the space working on this so um, yeah like a way to block that oh yeah exactly or, or track it, right? I mean, right now, yeah. you know, I can copy it and, you know, maybe there's a way to track it in the blockchain so you can always get paid, which is great, which is great. I mean, that part is great that, you know, the artist can always get paid regardless of, you know, how many hands it touches. Exactly. Um, it's exciting. I mean, are you, are you into, um, are, you, are you following the, do you follow the entire, other than even other, outside of NFTs, are you following the cryptocurrency scene? So the other side of it that I'm kind of interested in is the fashion element of it. So now you can buy fashion digital only um, oh, wow. and the use of it. I know it sounds silly because fashion is clothes, right? And you wear it, but it's, it's main application is the gaming world. 
So you would buy outfits for your, your avatar or whatever. But the other application is that that's not really spoken about is that you can now, if, if you can design digitally like this, then it cuts out some of the wastage that you use in the production process in the fashion industry. So say we get two or three prototypes made and that's shipped back and forth from uh, abroad. We don't need to do that if we can design it digitally and get one thing made one time and then take that go straight to production. We save so much time and wastage and CO2 emissions. So like there are like other applications to, to NFTs. So I just, I think I'm super excited by it. But the only other thing is it does make some people's jobs redundant. So it's a man versus machine at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I read a stat the other day. It said like, you know, 70% of people's jobs today aren't going to be around 10 years from now. So it seems like it's inevitable. I know, but then you've got to like retrain yourself, haven't you? In in terms of like, you would have to, to process those machines. You'll need people that are processors or like coders. So it, it creates, it, I don't think they'll ever be, a, uh, it might make jobs, manual labor jobs obsolete, but there'll be jobs because there's always going to be problems to solve. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I see it. What are, what are some of your uh, immediate goals um, for, you know, the diaspora club? Um, so I want to continue with the sharing stories of people, but the next step that I want to do now that lockdown's easing um, is the diaspora supper club. So when I was talking to everyone about their experiences and um, their culture, the main underlying, and actually the main theme that came across was food. Um, I think that's how people interact with their culture and other cultures is through food. So um, it'd be really interesting to go into other people's homes and get home cooked food. Also, it means a free meal for me. Um, And then I'm just like... share the recipes and yeah chat with them some sort of like feature like that i'd like to do that's, so that's cool. something i'm working on yeah yeah and um and also i mean if, if you're if it's just, just bengalis i mean each part of bangladesh uh, has its own um sort of special cuisine and you know the way of making it the way of serving it so that's that that's fascinating yeah i really need to to be honest i really need to engage more with bengali culture because obviously i only know food and um like our, our culture from the, the small area that i'm from and i know mm. that's so diverse even even the the accents and the language is different across yeah. across the borders and it's it's really interesting yeah. um so yeah like what what area are you from so i'm from i was born in borishal so it's like south uh east um yeah, but uh, you know, it's uh, and they have their they have a very distinct uh, accent as well. And you're right. I mean, Siliti. I mean, you, you know, you hear somebody called speak Siliti versus, you know, Chittagong. Um, it's little, it sounds like completely different languages. Yeah, it's really it's really strange. But like, I, I wonder why is that if it's so close? Because it's not. In I mean, in England we have different accents, but I think uh, across across borders in Bangladesh it's different. Word, actual words are different now. It is. I don't know why. Um, it's a good question. It's something I should maybe we should look into. But you're right. I mean, this to, to all. It's not even just like an accent. It's complete words that are different. I mean, Siliti, you say furi fua furi fura right like fua, which is yeah yeah which is completely different from in, in Shuddo, It's me or chile. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. not even not even not even similar. So yeah, I wonder why that is. You know, uh, yeah, like. You ma- like you drink water. You say you mati, right? 
আমি মাটি পানি মাটি ফ্রান্সিফ্রান্সিফ্রান্সিফ্রান্সিফ্রান্সিফ্রান্সিফ্রান্সিফ্রান্সিফ্রান্সিফ্রান্সিফ্রান্সিফ্রান্সিফ্